Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is proud to sponsor the Ortho Show podcast. Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is killing it right now. We have six centers open with two more opening in the next eight weeks with 10 more sites in the queue across the country. We're exclusively powered by the MLS M8 laser technology. Laser treatment is an awesome alternative to traditional cortisone shots and surgery for all of your acute and chronic orthopedic pain needs for your patients. To find out how you can supercharge your orthopedic practice and become a part of the OrthoLaser community, go to the OrthoLaser website at www.ortholaserwithaz.com. That's www.ortholaserwithaz.com. From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon, here to host another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. And we're, there is no exception today, as we are going West Coast, and we're bringing in Dr. Ronald Navarro, who's an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in sports medicine. He's the regional chief of orthopedic surgery at Kaiser Permanente, where God bless him, he leads over 200 orthopedic surgeons in 13 centers from San Diego to Santa Barbara. He's the consummate underachiever. He's a member of ASAS, the, that really cool club of shoulder and elbow society. He's a, a previous member at large at our Academy of Orthopedic Surgery, and he's the immediate past president of the California Orthopedic Association. So you don't have much going on, Ron, but thank you so much for having you on the show. Oh, my God. This is really great to be with you today, and uh, I've been you know, you, you and I have been uh, friends, kind of sort of peripherally known each other in professional circles. And uh, just, you know, I think we've been uh, getting closer through stuff like LinkedIn and stuff and, and really pr- proud of what you're doing and just happy to be with you today. Oh, it's fantastic. No, it's really it's really great to have you on. And, I, and you know, we do our research here at the Ortho Show. So we've done a little uh, background on you in particular. And I think I want to spend the first part of the podcast really talking about what's truly amazing because you and I, I think you're two years older than me because you did a couple couple of years of research, but we did our fellowships at the same time. You uh, did your fellowship at the prestigious University of Pittsburgh with Freddie Fu and Chris Harner and J.P. Warner. And at the same year, I went from the East Coast out to the West Coast and went to Curlin Job and did my fellowship there. So, so you know, we're going to we're going to call this sort of the East Coast, West Coast, you know, episode. Because like, like you said, you and I are friends. So it's like the like Tupac and Biggie. I don't know if you know that story, but two hip hop guys. And, you know, every, everything was fine with Tupac and Biggie until until Biggie's boys shot Tupac five times. But he wound up living. And then he, then, he, then he had an affair with Biggie's wife. And then he published a song about it. And it went south from there. So we're going to keep it on the good side, if that's all yeah. right. That'll never happen between us. You're too good of friends. <laughs> all right. Love it. East Coast, West Coast. That's our episode. So. So what I want to focus on, because I love, I love your story, um, and I also like to tell my story, and there's a lot of commonality to how we got to this moment 25 years later after our fellowships and we're at the height of our careers in our sports medicine orthopedist, but, but there's so many differences. So I want you to go first. Tell us why, how, how orthopedics, when did you think about it, all that good stuff. Sure. You know, uh, uh, you know appreciate you asking and uh you know, I think everybody's story is unique, and mine mine is 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 uniquely American 
and and there's so many other stories. So I just want to put that out there, the, the caveat, everybody has got a great story. My dad came from Mexico, zero education, uh, worked on the docks, uh, met, my wa- met my mom, my wife, funny, uh, my, my mom, and uh, uh, had five boys. I was the youngest of them. And uh, my older brother was an athletic trainer and did a lot of great work with the teams at junior colleges and through, throughout Southern California. And my family, we had dinners with uh, uh with uh, bricklayers and auto mechanics, not uh, orthopedic surgeons. So when he said to me, I said, boy, what you do is great as an athletic trainer. I really liked that. And he said, everybody called me Ronnie back in the day. Hey, Ronnie, you're smart. You, you should go become an orthopedic surgeon. So the next question was, what's that? That was like, you know, <laughs> as a uh, freshman in high school, you know. So long story short, you know, went through all the trials and tribulations to become an orthopedic surgeon and uh, really uh, enjoy the life, got over to Kaiser Permanente. So I'm kind of short-circuiting it a, a bit, but, uh, you know, it, it was a, a great story. First in the family to be um, uh, professionally educated beyond a, a bachelor's degree, first one to have one of these uh, t- titles, uh, doctor, lawyer, that sort of thing. So uh, a lot of great stuff. And, you know, I, you know, I'm always trying to stay humble and it's not really like what I did. It's the people who inspired me and that sort of thing. My mom and dad are pretty, pretty much heroes. They're past now, but big heroes in my life because they put up with the uh, five boys and, uh, <laughs> and that sort of thing. So yeah, that's uh, I'll cut it short and I want to hear your story. <laughs> yeah. So, so many similarities, but yet, you know, obviously some, some big time differences. So, you know, we both sounds like we grew up in, in a wonderful, happy family in a house that we, you know, we love and adore. We have great siblings that we still care for. Um, and, uh, uh, but yet, you know, very different. Right. And so my father was a chemical engineer from MIT. My mother was a headhunter and she had her own business. Uh, first in the family to be a doctor, there was no doctor before me. We, we share that in a similarity, sure. but you know, it was in 10th grade. So I'm in 10th grade and, and I'm like living in a Jewish ghetto, not from like financial hardship, but literally everybody I knew was Jewish. There was like zero diversity. Even the, the non-Jewish kids stayed home on the high holidays because there was <laughs> nobody in class, but, but, the bottom line is, is it was very different. You said it like, oh, well, we didn't have dinner with orthopedic surgeons, but I had uh, uh, five of my friends from high school's fathers were orthopedic surgeons. So I actually could experience it. And, and in 10th grade, I'll never forget it. I'm playing lacrosse and football. I know that you played uh, uh, football in high school, too. You guys had a state championship. Not so much for us, you know, not a lot of great Jewish football players, maybe Julian Edelman, but uh, but the awesome. bottom line is we, we did have a lot of fun. And and in 10th grade, I injured my knee and I went in and I saw there was Larry Becker and Jerry Reichmeister, who are the two orthopedic surgeons that helped care for us. And I was just like, you know, this really looks cool. I mean, I can use my brain. I really like studying and math and science. I love playing sports. And I said, that's it. I'm, I want to be a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon and basically put the, you know, the grind to it and went to Tufts and played some lacrosse there. I didn't have to play football. Thank God they were twice my size. And, uh, and then went from there and did my, you know, went through the whole residency thing and pushed hard and got my fellowship. And, and here we are. But, you know, like you, like you, I had that design on that idea early on. And uh, you probably had greater knowledge about how the difficulties you'd encounter, you know, because at each level, I'm telling you stuff, you're, you know, uh, getting to a good college, do well on an MCAT, get into a good med school, do well on on uh, then boards now, um, whatever it's called now, <laughs> different sure. acronyms every year for these things, and then get get into a good medical residency program, do well on boards again, and do well well enough to get into one of the prestigious like you did uh, uh, fellowships, you know. So uh, 
not knowing that maybe was a, a blessing for me, but certainly it hit me square in the face many times to realize that the challenge that each next step would take and, you know, great stories like, like yours uh, are that you accomplished all that and all these years later can look back. Yeah. Perseverance. You know, we hear that all the time. You know, if you're going to be innovative, if you're going to move forward, you're going to see some failure, you know, but you got to keep going and you will see, you will have success. And, uh, you know, I also find it fascinating that the whole East Coast, West Coast theme, again, you know, you've got your UCLA shirt on. I mean, you're born and bred LA, you know, and, uh, and then you decide, you know, I'm going to go East Coast for my fellowship because I want to see what they're doing there. And it was the exact same thing for me. You know, I was spent my entire life on the East Coast. And I said, you know, I want to go to the West Coast. And I want to see what they're doing. And that was a really valuable tool for me because I was able to learn from like J.R. Richmond, you know, who's you know one of our iconic sports leaders. And then I go and work with Dr. Job and Neil Elitrosh and Taboni and all these guys. And I'm like, I really gathered, you know, information from both and came together. And I'm sure the experience was similar for you. Yeah. All these legends, you know, my residency largely was uh, uh, a, um, uh, blue collar one at a county hospital. I was at Harbor, not at U- USC, but but at Harbor still. Like you learn how to operate, but you don't have anybody teaching you for the most part. Yeah, had some great teachers there in the residency period. But then to go and you know, I got to tell you, <clears throat> I just want to uh, do some shout outs. Mark Safran was a resident above me when I was doing a couple years of research at, at uh, uh, in between uh, med school and residency uh, to help my uh, application to get into orthopedics and. And so he was a resident at UCLA. So he was above me uh, uh, in 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 training. Got into the pit program, and I I um, interviewed at a number of places. But when I interviewed there, I got to stay with Mark, and so it was a great time. So he set me up with Dr. Fu with Freddie, and everybody knows the Freddie stories uh, uh, and, and that sort of thing about his legendary way with people. And uh, it, it all worked from there. But just really appreciate people who helped me along the way too to kind of. Because coming out of out of Harbor, I didn't have a lot of great letters. You know, I think some people on the East Coast, they read the letter from the uh, chair at UCLA because you get one from there and they think you're a UCLA resident. So you smoke and mirrors them a little bit. Well, whatever works, man. You're, you're sitting in the chair right now, bro. It all works. I'm sharing all the secrets now. But, <laughs> great. but, uh, but uh, you know, just to be be start with JP and 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 JP at that point. If you want to hear silly stories, he said Navarro, I took you because we had a guy uh, from HSS and uh, another resident from Columbia, and they all think they know everything, and you don't know anything about the shoulders. So that's why. <laughs> That's shocking to hear that about JP. I, I can't even imagine those coming out of his words. That's right. Oh, the stories, the stories. You know, let's uh, let's let's move on. Let's talk a little bit because I really I'd love to hear about the Kaiser Permanente model because that's a little different. Uh, you know, we've had Michael Suck on from Geisinger, which oh, is another sure. sort of closed system. But why don't you just tell the audience, you know, what's what's the differences within a closed system at Kaiser and how does it work for the patients? No, sure. Thanks. Uh, and just uh, briefly, Mike Sook, also a great friend. We, we we all run in the same circles. He calls me the twin brother from a different mother, just because we have some similarities in our background and then ended up in these prepaid systems. But, uh, you know, KP... Um, uh, prepaid system, Southern California and Northern California has a large presence as, as yeah, most people who kind of know about this know. Uh, and so 
um, uh, uh, patients come in and they're able to uh, pick their doctor at, within a medical center area. And once again, uh, in Southern California, it's 13 medical centers covering about 54,000 square miles from uh, Santa Barbara to the Mexican border, from the Pacific coast all the way inland, uh, as far as you can get to, you know, sands and, 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 and I'm sorry, Palm Springs type type living and that sort of thing. And so at each of those medical centers, you have a complement of orthopedic surgery departments. And so when I was first attracted, I actually did one year of private practice. And and after that year, it was kind of a, 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 a tough experience. And like many young orthopedic surgeons, I was looking around. And then this, this opportunity opened up right near where I grew up in the same sort of gritty Hispanic area near the waterfront, near the harbor of Los Angeles. And I thought, wow, I can go back to where I kind of grew up and go find the same great Mexican food I'm used to and not the other one down the street that's different. Yeah, everybody has their colloquial uh, um, ethnic food, you know. And so uh, uh took that opportunity on and it was five five orthopedic surgeons. And in our system, you have to retire out at 65, interestingly enough. And these guys were all in their late 60s. And it was one of the smartest moves I ever made because I, I didn't not like them, but they were going to have to retire and they probably practiced an older style of orthopedics, uh, uh, orthopedic surgery and other medical centers of, of Kaiser Permanente orthopedic departments had already kind of remade themselves. So I'm not an original person. I'm not an entrepreneur, but I just thought, wow, I can go in there and these guys will retire out. We can uh, really change it up. So like a month after I became a partner, it's three years to partnership. I became the chief of the department. And as these guys retired out, I'd say, we need another joint replacement guy. We need a, a sport person. We need a, a foot and ankle person. We need a hands person. So we, we really recreated it as more of an academic, more modern day environment. Like I'm sure your practice is built now. And back then I had five, I hired into a group that had five generalists, some of whom uh, were <clears throat> doing just, you know, nice people, but they were, you know, casting stuff that needed operations. It was different. And so <clears throat> That goes to kind of what Kaiser was, Kaiser Permanente was, and what it is now. <laughs> when I hired on in 1997, reputation was pretty low, um, but I was going to get paid as much as I was getting in the year of private. So I didn't. I felt like it was a no change for me, and I saw that there was some upside. And over time, we've really enhanced our reputation by hiring the right people, by sticking to uh, um, protocols that can help us to do the right stuff. And and really, when you're in, a, in Southern California and you offer a young resident uh, the or fellow after residency the opportunity to come in and get a set ready-made practice and do all shoulder, all do foot and ankle, you're going to start getting really great people, especially as reimbursements on the outside ha have come down. And I am the biggest fan of private practice and the biggest fan of academic medicine, because if their incomes stay high, it keeps our incomes high because it's about, you know, how, how, how we were able to be recruited. If we're all leaving to the outside, they have to, you know, keep our incomes high. So I get compensated. Well, I, I'm very satisfied with my life in terms of that, but our patients can come in. Cause you asked about the patient aspect, they come in. And now that we've built a 200 plus orthopedic surgeons, and I don't get to control each, each hire at each of the 13 institutions in, in, in my current role, but there's a lot of talk about who we're looking at and how we're getting them. And we're getting the best residents and the best people from the best fellowships. And people just are adding on really great parts to create a better whole. And so we virtually don't have to send anything out. It, it, the patients get a, a great experience. And of course, in every practice patients will, so there's going to be a patient who might be disgruntled, but 
for the most part, we're really happy about what we do and the patients are satisfied with what we're doing for them. And we're always trying to earn people's business. Oh, that's fantastic. So I got to give a shout out to how's our, how's our friend, Dr. Nima Mehran doing? Oh, he's amazing. Doing he's a hot job. ticket, man. You picked up a good one there, huh? Yeah. Another Curlin Job guy, another, really another Mr. Job social guy. media too. So yeah, he and his wife, his wife's a pediatrician, right? So they're like, they, they, uh, they really do a great job, but but I think he, a, a person like Nima is exactly what you're talking about. Fellowship trained at Curlin Job, he seems exceptionally happy into his system and and the and the work. And he's he's busy. I mean, I it's it's funny. I did this thing for for it's an academy of surgical coaches, and uh, I, they basically schooled me how to become a surgical coach, and which is really kind of cool. And then I was sort of paired up with different doctors around the country, and uh, you know, I had four doctors, and and two of the doctors were relatively new out of practice, and they were struggling because. They just weren't getting the cases. They weren't getting the volume uh, and they had to work towards a certain practice. But when you guys, I'm assuming when you hire a sports medicine fellowship guy, he's going to go out and do sports medicine. I mean, he's going to, you know, right away. So that's really an opportunity for these younger doctors that are coming out where you don't have to struggle on the business side, right? You have to, am I going into private practice? Am I doing academics? And it also, Correct me if I'm wrong, Rob. You do a fair amount of research. I, you know, I see a lot of papers. So you guys, you guys stretch into the academic world a little, don't you? Yeah, we've been really fortunate, and once again, uh, a great uh, respect. And I stand on the shoulders of uh, the giants, uh, uh, Don Fithian and others, who really put together our registries. And at first, it was a total joint registry, and then it's blossomed into an ACL registry as well, and a shoulder arthroplasty registry. And there's even other ones. And people really put time in in the early 2000s and really built the program. Uh, Liz Paxton and Tad Funahashi are others. She's a, a PhD and he's another orthopedic surgeon who helped to kind of organize the registries over time. And so it's allowed us to have this, this ready-made uh, uh, data set that we can ask questions of and try and uh, um, iterate our, our clinical practices and develop uh, quality improvement through it and certainly get publications from. And so, you know, I, I tell people all the time, if I'm frustrated, anything, it's, it, it's not an NFL receiver. It's, it's, I'm a frustrated academic that I wish, you know, there's a part of me that wishes I could have been the team doc at UCLA or whatever, that sort of thing. But this piece of that allows me, as you say, to flex into that and really satisfy another piece of my life and, and get that. And, and for us in KP orthopedics, I think it was another part of our, we felt like the, 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 the little brother or sort of syndrome. And so we, we wanted to really kind of be at the academy meeting and have stuff to say. And so this has really allowed us to do that and really have that piece of, of life to be able to kind of flex into. Yeah, there's no orthopedic competition in Los Angeles. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say to all my buddies, though. I feel like we're the Switzerland. Their patients can't see us and our patients can't see them. So I can always be, I'm the friendliest guy to, you know, a tor- in Torrance, which is the big community, which is near my medical center. It's It's got a couple of big hospitals and all the private guys there. And, and Curlin Job now has offices down there, too, because as you know, they're spreading out. The, the, they're all fencing with each other, so to speak. And I'm just the happy guy going, Hey, what can I help you guys with? And oh, hey, that's awesome. patient. And they're going to say, Hey, there's a Kaiser patient I can't take care of because I'm not going to get paid. Can I send it to you? So uh, 
we're perfect. Switzerland, you know? Perfect. Ira Kirschenbaum says the same thing in the Bronx. You know, nobody wants to come to the Bronx, so we just take care of everybody and we're happy. Uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, that's so true. Well, you know, my brothers of another mother are all the smog guys. I mean, Ramin Modaber, Kevin Earhart, Michael Gerhart, Stoppy, oh. uh, all those guys are very dear friends of mine. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how the, the L.A. sports and orthopedics all sort of came together right now. Mm-hmm. Cedar Sinai, Curlin Job, and Santa Monica Orthopedic Group are all together. So probably a little less, you know, competition, but but certainly a lot of growth around you. But stay in Switzerland, brother. You're doing a great job. Yeah. Awesome. No, I do like that position. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Do you have residents or is it just you guys basically writing the paper? We just, we just have uh, – um, some of the medical schools in town uh, are sometimes occasionally send stuff to us and we each get residents from different programs. I'm closest to Harbor. And for a while we had residents coming from there. Um, um, some of our uh, docs at my medical center burnt out on that. Now they're going to other KP facilities, but we just got a medical school, a Kaiser Permanente medical school uh, in Southern California and Pasadena. It's first class of 45, uh, a little bit after uh, the way Guy Singer has done it and certainly Mayo is a long time ago that the system's somewhat uh, uh, closest to us in look. And so our first class of 45, and I already have one of them who is interested in orthopedics. So he and awesome. I are doing research to that, together and getting awesome. his name on papers. He's a first year. I, I don't want to say his name because I don't want the rest of the medical school to say no, no orthopedics. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I was not a big researcher and, and until you know, we sort of struck upon the idea of using laser for COVID. And so we've done, we've done our trials. So we've got two case reports that I've been writing as the principal investigator, and we're about ready to release our manuscript for, for uh, how, how we used the laser for COVID. So it's really exciting, but I got to tell you, man, I'm not used to sitting in front of a computer and writing papers. So it's a, it's definitely a challenge, but uh, so I want I want to move on to something I think that both of us, you know, again, share in our passion. And uh, I want to throw, uh, throw some kudos out to you because I actually quote one of your papers routinely when I give my opioid sparing talks. And uh, it was specifically your paper where you looked at rotator cuff and upper extremity, maybe it was total shoulder, I can't remember, but it was looking at the post-operative uh, complications or return to the emergency room for opioid-related adverse events. Just tell us about that paper because I thought that was really cool. Yeah, we wanted to first just understand uh, what complement of patients were were coming back to to the uh, emergent and urgent setting, and, and uh, really define that and 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 understand because you know with all research you have to say where are we and then how can we affect change. So if you don't know where you, if you don't know what you don't know, you you, you can't uh, uh, speak to to like how you can affect change. And so we just really wanted to define what those issues were, and we felt that. Two, that we were going to make some impact because we had uh, recently uh, embarked upon and, 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 you know, kudos to you for all the great work you're doing to show that you can do things without opioids and with or with nominal minimal amounts. And we had uh, begun to embark upon uh, um, first the state of California was going to monitor all of us with this Cures Act in Southern in California to kind of monitor if you do so many prescriptions, you have to go on to a different website outside of your electronic medical record and, and sign it up for it. So we knew that that might have, uh, it really would affect change because it was almost a penalty for the orthopedic surgeon to have to do that. And so we thought that that might change some behaviors with prescribing. And, and you know the, the the issues well, I'm telling you stuff you already know. But in the old days, we just write 100, three refills. It'd just be like, not because you're trying to make addicts, but because it was convenient for the patient, convenient for you. And it was just something you learn. 
concerned. And it, it, maybe those are not excuses that can be used anymore. It's like saying certain words, you just don't do it anymore. It's not acceptable. It's not a thing. But in, in, within medicine, doing that nowadays is unacceptable. It's an, almost an anathema that I say it. But in the old days, we all sort of did it. And so that first cures sort of took effect and was going to ch change for us. Then within our uh, electronic medical record, others who oversee that sort of work uh, said, we're going to change all your orders to like zero refills. And if they were 75 or 50, we'll take them down to 25. And, you know, it was met with a lot of pushback by orthopedic surgeons. But but uh, a after a time, even joint resurgeons, who are probably the biggest to say, oh, no, 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 my patients need th need this for a long time afterward, you start seeing the data and statistics in, and it's scary. And it really kind of compels you for the right benefit of the patients to do the right thing. So the paper was look, was looking at seeing if that was going to change things too. And so it was showing that, that we were doing less and less over time. So, uh, you know, just other, another, we can't do bench research and, you know, test tubes and, and Petri dishes. We can do like big data and what's happening, you know, that, that, that's, that's our wheelhouse. So that's where, where a lot of my research is too, besides the registry. Yeah, I mean, and it's amazing. I mean, upper extremity surgery was super painful. I mean, it just is. There's a lot of nerve endings there. Patients required a lot of narcotics. And those upper extremity rotator cuffs and shoulder replacements, many of them were on opioids for long term. Despite the fact that their shoulder was fixed, they still had the opioid problem. So, I mean, the great news is, you know, I'm not sure if at KP if you have Expirel or not, but, you know, it is an on-label use now for a scaling block. So we are we're opioid free for rotator cuff surgery right now, which is just phenomenal if you think back to our days when we were fellows and, you know, writing all those scripts and even through practice, you know, for years and years. So we're really happy and super happy to know that we have people like you that are doing the research to prove that what we're doing does make a difference for our patients and we can avoid opioids and take our patients safely and effectively through surgery. So how much are you doing multimodal? I mean, you're not giving them uh, post-op narcotics prescriptions, oral prescriptions, but are you doing other multimodals like, you know, the, the anti-inflammatory and Tylenol and maybe a gabapentin, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, we do. I've actually become a big fan now of IV Angezo, which is IV Meloxicam. Mm -hmm. And so we're using that right away, which gets really nice 24-hour pain relief. And so you're doing that plus our regional blocks, which last two to three days. We'll give a prescription for Tylenol, Gabapentin, as well as oral Meloxicam for the next five days. And we encourage patients not to take any short-term opioids. We give a couple just because we feel obligated, you know, so that they have something for emergency, but we encourage them uh, as, uh, you know, Dr. Esev and, and Rothman showed that if you just have the conversation about minimizing opioids, you'll reduce opioids even by 30%. So it's all hands on deck. So yeah, our multimodal approach has really worked. And, and we've got people like you all over the country now that are supporting this concept. So, uh, Great well, news. Great news for all of us. Fantastic work you're doing. And, and, and uh, I've become familiar with Angesso as well and, you know, trying to, to see where it can fit into our regimens as well. And I, I, we've all been on this path and you're certainly one of the most expert in, 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 the, uh, in the field in America, if not the world or, uh, about this topic. And I don't know if you've, you've also had these conversations with patients because we went from that pain is the fifth vital sign no pain no pain no pain to kind of realizing boy, boy there's a lot of addicts being created potentially you know at the hands of uh, these prescriptions and whatnot in, in america and we've really kind of tried to right the ship but i talked to uh, friends in europe and they say you know like the friends in denmark you know they say what do we tell our patients we say 
surgery hurts, you know, like, so there's a little bit of that, you know, mental construct, you have to start building into the patient's uh, uh, understanding too, not to be horrible and mean and make them suffer, but just understand a small amount of ache is not uh, against the rules, so to speak. Now, your communication is paramount for a successful outcome, and it starts in the office, and then it gets reiterated in the pre-op holding room, and then it gets told one more time on the way out the door, and then we tell them one more time when we call them the next day. I find that most patients are thrilled to know that I care enough to provide them an opioid-sparing regimen because they all have a friend or a family member or a colleague who succumbed uh, who, uh, to the epidemic. So having that conversation really puts people at ease, and I, I completely agree communication is, is number one, two, and three for a good so- a solution and a good program. Well, Ron, we are thankful for you. I mean, you are literally one of the best of the best, and you make a difference in so many people's lives, not just your patients, but you really are a role model to so many. We, I thank you for all of the attention to the society committees that you do to keep us moving as an orthopedic uh, surgical uh, community, the research that you're doing, the education that you're doing. So we can't thank you enough for taking the time to, to be with us today on the Ortho Show. Scott, thank you. And I'm, I'm just proud to now be a part of it. Can I get a commitment from you? Of course. What do you need? When we can come back together, maybe at an academy meeting, you have a gathering of people who've been on the show and we all get together at a, a nice eatery or um, uh, other establishment just to kind of uh, uh, have salutations and, and, and uh, good times together. Oh, I, I love it. Heather's all over it. I can see her writing down on her pen right now. That's fantastic. I love the idea. No, Ron, you really are, you know, exactly what we're looking for on the ortho show. We want amazing orthopedic surgeons to tell their very unique stories. We can't thank you enough. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, host of the ortho show. Hashtag follow the fro. Till next time.